This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how are you at adulting? You know, now that you're an adult. We welcome the woman who helped many of our stackers clean up their financial house, and today she'll help you, the woman behind broke millennial, Erin Lowry. In our headlines, here's a shocker. Apparently, you can't just get products, promise to pay for them later, and then, you know, not do it. Ha! We'll share the news. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky stacker. And don't worry, because I'm always up for serving up another dose of my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who put the fun in financial planning. Actually, don't think there's fun in that word, but I could be wrong. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Well, that's why we have to put it in, Doug. We have to put the fun into financial planning. Hey, everybody. Changing the alphabet for the win podcast right here. I'm Joe Salciha. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the guy bringing it on the Wednesday, Mr. OG. How are you, man? Fantastico. Get to teach my kid how to jumpstart a car this afternoon. Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know what? Erin Lowry's here to jumpstart this podcast. Ah, I see what you did there. She's going to be teaching people how to jumpstart their oh, lives. Boy. Settle down. Their financial lives. Wow. Yes. Wow. He's all excited about the good segue he came up with, and he's going to milk Bam. this. Here we go. We're going to talk about uh, buying stuff. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going to buy stuff now? You always see they're like, you could pay $85 or 116 payments of $4. Starting next month. You don't have to pay anything to Ah, yes, affirm. It's amazing. Affirm. I affirm that I will make these payments. Klarna, the way that people are are buying stuff today. By the way, you know how how cows buy their clothing? Mm. They use a catalog. A catalog. Dads, feel free to use that. Borrow that from me. Impress the whole family with that one. You know what? That's not nearly as good, Doug. I know you're shaking your head, guys. Not nearly as good. Let's ramp it up and let's give people this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies 
that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Is that the appropriate rinse to get that dad joke out of your head? Yeah, it was a palate cleanser. Thanks for that. Aaron Lowry waiting for us. But first, we're going to talk about buying stuff with no money. The game's a-changing, so let's go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. This piece is from the Wall Street Journal, uh, written by Amani Moise. Some buy now, pay later users face rejection, OG. Rejection. It turns out this idea that you can hand just anybody free stuff and tell them, no, we gotcha. You'll pay later. Don't worry about it. Just take the stuff out of the store. You can pay next month. Turns out some people were uh, didn't really care about their credit, just wanted the free, you know, the free stuff today. Free. Free? Right. Right, free. Air quotes. Amani writes, some users of buy now, pay later apps may face something new when they try to use the payment method. Rejection. Higher interest rates and recession can, concerns. Can they just do this when you're like, I would like to buy that Peloton? like it should have to play like wouldn't that be the awesomest way to kind of take the edge off you know you're you're at abercrombie and you're trying to get yourself a nice checkered shirt for for the summer a little something to tune up the wardrobe and they're like sir that'll be 67 dollars and 11 cents you're like i'd like to put it on my credit card and you swipe it and it just goes you're like sorry i have to leave oops (laughs) i will put my head down time today Higher interest rates and recession concerns are challenging the business model behind services such as Affirm, Klarna, and Sezzle. I've never heard of Sezzle. Sezzle puts the E in Sizzle, apparently. S-E-Z-Z-L-E. Which, which, which say, what do we want to call this? We can't call it Sizzle. We'll call it Sezzle. Uh, which say they're tightening credit standards to focus on making a profit. It's weird. <laughs> Companies actually want to make a profit. What? Mm, it's going around. <laughs> it's so weird. 
It's so strange. <laughs> oh, gee, I was questioning these initially, like these companies affirm Klarna and Sezzle. I know that people thought, hey, these are great things. And man, you saw people flock to these apps, right? I mean, they wouldn't stay in business if people weren't using them consistently. But it turns out that maybe you might not want to use them at all. Well, I'm just kind of curious on like, you know, all the metrics behind the system, because it seems like it's pretty much ubiquitous now on any sort of online option, right? You go online to buy something, you can pay for it with your credit card, you can Apple pay it, which is basically with your credit card, or you can click here to buy it through, like you said, through a firm or whatever. It didn't seem like ever a bad deal relative to interest rate. And so I guess what they're doing now is they're saying, hey, we got to we got to tighten this up. We got to add some interest to make some money and it's going to be less attractive to people. I mean, it shows up on your credit report, so that's not great. Yeah. So is the difference between, I've never used any of those options, is the difference between Klarna or Affirm and your credit card a lower interest rate? Otherwise, what's There's the- no interest, Doug. Yeah, it's just payments. If you pay it on time, there is no interest. The key is- Hallelujah. Yeah, but if you mess up for any reason, according to this piece- there are interest rates as high as 30% if you miss oh. it. You know, it's similar to going to like the furniture store and they go, it's, you know, no interest, no payments for 90 days and okay. same as cash for two years or something. You know, you got to make a minimum payment. And at the end of that period, you better have paid it off. Otherwise, all that retroactive interest gets added on type deal. So, you know, what's easier. You just sleep on Joe's couch. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have Save any the money and pay cash or something that looks a lot like cash. No, sure. It reminds me, guys, of that classic uh, SNL skit with Amy Poehler and Steve Martin. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> it's so confusing. But what if I really want it and I don't have the money? <laughs> you shouldn't it's buy it. SNL. SNL just negated the need for a whole segment of podcast. <laughs> right there. It's that simple. We could have gotten rid of the whole headline. Right there. Wall Street like, Journal could have just published this. Yes. Don't use Klarna. Just don't buy stuff you can't afford. It's weird that maybe you hold off until you can actually afford it. That's not it. fun. One star for that whole experience. Not fun. We will link to effective budgeting strategies. Then you wouldn't have the stress of trying to make payments every month. <laughs> and that stress in your life is what we're all looking for. Maybe we need to make our own commercial that goes with that. How else are you getting motivated to go to work? Are you bored at work? Go buy something you can't afford that has payments for a really long time. I'm in debt <laughs> up to my eyeballs. Oh, 
That was a great, great ad. I love that that whole ad campaign. You will find in our newsletter, the 201, a deeper dive into this topic about the problem uh, with overspending, the problem with using these apps to get yourself in maybe too deep, and then also uh, solutions for budgeting, or as our friend Ramit Sadie calls it, conscientious spending. Conscientious spending. Yes. It's a $500 phrase. Coming up next, Aaron Lowry is the broke millennial. She, uh, several years ago, man, she was a force of nature right from the beginning with her first book, Broke Millennial. Of course, Broke Millennial on investing. And then, and then her third book about talking about money and actually having conversations about money. She's got a new workbook out. We're going to ask her questions from the workbook. We're going to dive into the early part of that to see how much we can glean and and help get people on the right path with their money. By the way, we did this interview live on Instagram. And so uh, Aaron in one part gets a little wobbly. So I will apologize ahead of time. But the things that she says in this interview are so good. You're going to love this next 20 minutes after you love what Doug has to say in his trivia. Doug, give him some loving, buddy. Ah, okay, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today I'm working on improving my credit report. I've requested mine. You know, it's free from annualcreditreport.com. Let me see here. Oh, hey, this looks like good news. First, I'm scoring 140. I didn't even know it was possible to do better than 100. I must be getting extra credit for all that shopping I do. Okay, uh, even even better news. They say it's good to have a lot of write-offs. Looks like a few companies are reporting that they've written off my debt to them. Bingo! I'm about to do some research. What is the number one thing you can do to improve your credit? So it's like mine. I'll be back right after I go open a bottle of Joe's Mom's Champagne to celebrate. Well, you know, what I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country And I also think about some of our active service members want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Hey there, stackers. I'm master debt creator and not so secret shopper, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. So uh, I will not 
be opening Joe's mom champagne to celebrate my over 100 credit score for two reasons. First, she informed me that a 140 credit score isn't as great as it sounds to the average working man. And when I asked about the champagne, she, she said no. So maybe I need this trivia answer as much as the next guy. Here was the question, what is the number one thing you can do to improve your credit score? Because 35% of your credit score is your payment history, just make payments on time. The second biggest is utilization. So try to pay down your cards and not use them as much. Easier said than done when the old El Camino's always asking for upgrades like, uh, you know, a bitchin' stereo, a desperately needed lube job, or frivolous stuff like seatbelts. But we'll find a way, people, you and me, together, we're gonna figure it out. You with me? And now, someone who's here to help all of us, the woman behind Broke Millennial, Erin Lowry. And I'm super happy she's back here with us. It's about time. My favorite person I never feel like I get to talk to enough, Erin Lowry from Broke Millennials here. How are you? I'm doing well. Also, I just want to address up top for those of us watching live, we've had a few comments come in about audio. It's being recorded. It'll be great afterwards. So sorry it lags. <laughs> we'll fix it in post, right? We're going to do it live. Uh, uh, this is the first time we've done an interview live on Instagram. So for anybody that wants to join us next time, uh, just follow Stacking Benjamins podcast on Instagram. But I don't want to talk about that, Aaron. I want to talk about you. Let's talk about you. You write something in the book that surprised the hell out of me. You wrote in, I think it was the second chapter, I have an intense scarcity mindset with money. Where the hell yes. does that come from? And tell me, what does that look like in action? Well, one of the most common ways it looks like in action for many folks is the desire to hoard money and trouble with spending money. So even on something that you want or might very much align with your value set, it still can be really hard to actually make the commitment to spend. Scarcity mindset, what I find so interesting about it is that a lot of times you hear folks will talk about it because of a way that you grew up. Maybe you grew up in an environment where money was scarce and therefore you feel this need in your adulthood to hoard it. What's interesting for me is that was not the case. I grew up in a financially stable home, but as my dad will admit, he has a bit of a scarcity mindset around money. So it can also come uh. about a little bit with how a parent might talk about money. And it was never about like, we don't have enough. That's language that I think is very damaging to use, especially with children, because it can, first of all, it can scare them. They don't necessarily have context for what you're talking about, but it could just basically be more about like, wanting to oversave, almost wanting to hoard in certain ways, the way that narratives can be spoken about with money. Hard to say if this is nature or nurture. I am very much a delayed gratification person. If you have ever heard of the marshmallow test, I am the person who had no problem waiting for the second marshmallow. You've if you got, are not familiar. You've got 87 <laughs> marshmallows hoarded in the back room right I've, now. Here's the thing. My sister actually really knew how to play the game. So for those of you who are not familiar with the marshmallow test, it's a psychological test that people do usually on like toddlers, maybe five years old, where you put a marshmallow or a candy of equivalent value in front of a child and say, if you don't touch this, when I come back, I'll give you a second one. But if you eat it right now, that's it. You don't get a second one. Parent, what is it? Like experimental uh, educator, whomever it is, leaves the room, person leaves the room, waits usually like three to five minutes, depending on how long you want to torture the child. And then you come back. If the marshmallow is gone, they're done. If it's there, they get a second. But my mom did this to us when we were, I think when I was three. And then again, when my sister was three, I just sat there, waited for the marshmallow. 
was fine. My sister picked it up, licked it, put it down, licked it, put it down. So like technically didn't eat it. So she got the second one, but did somewhat enjoy it in the process, which she's I think the, is also just a wait a minute. She's like the, I didn't inhale the marshmallow thing. Yeah. I would have just licked the marshmallow, but I didn't inhale it. And it's hard. You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk later about the validity of the marshmallow test. We, that's a whole other conversation, but I am somebody who my whole life likes to wait till the end. Like my birthday, I like to open presents at the end of the night. I don't want to open presents at the start of the day. I want to savor everything about an experience like that. And that I think also ties a little bit into my scarcity mindset where I famously let gift cards go bad. Like I will wait so long to use a gift card that it expires before I use it because I'm waiting for like the perfect time to use something or to do something as opposed to just using it. So scarcity mindset can be a bit of a a conundrum when it comes to handling your money because you might think it sounds good because you save but if you also don't use it as a tool, it can be a problem. Well, the reason that surprised me so much about you is because of the fact that you, you are somebody who I knew came from a stable background, stable financial background, and that your family didn't have any problems with money. And my family, my dad is a spender, has always been a spender, and I'm exactly the same. I can't have any money in my wallet ever, or it is gone immediately. I would inhale the marshmallow. I don't care about the second marshmallow. The second you set it down, that marshmallow is in my mouth and it is gone. But it's funny how how different people are so different, even though you and I both came from very stable, stable places. I think about my twins. On trips to Disney, I got this great advice. Give your kids an allowance so that they don't beg, right? Because every ride ends in a gift shop. So give them an allowance every day and they can either take it all home, they can spend it on one big thing at the end of the trip or they can spend every day. My son came home with all of his money, Aaron, and my daughter every day spent hers about four minutes after she got it. And these are twins. So I I think that what you're doing here in the workbook, it seems to me is kind of hashing through that, right? Because you got to know, you got to know yourself. Like I'm the opposite of Dave Ramsey, where Dave says never have credit. If I have any cash in my wallet, what cash isn't accountable. My credit is accountable. So I won't spend money on a credit card, but I will with cash. But I feel like that's kind of what you're doing here with the new workbook. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, money, we all know at this point is way more psychology than anything else. Like so much about how we handle our personal finances has to do with how we emotionally relate to money and to our surroundings, right? So if you don't have an understanding of how and why you relate to certain things, then it's gonna be really hard for you to figure out a strategy for how to handle your money. So a huge part of Broke Millennial Workbook at the very front is helping you figure out what do I think about money? Why do I think that way about money? And how is that an asset, but also how might I need to play a little bit of defense with my own mental programming when it comes to finances? I want to walk through some of the the exercises that are in there and some of the findings that you have in there. But before we get there, how long ago did Broke Millennial come out? The first book? I think it's six. <laughs> 2017. It's six. That's, that, that's six. Yes. I've, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Fingers, thumbs. <laughs> I was like, was it 2016 or 17? The deal was in 16. The book was in 17. I can't believe that's been six years. What is it from that very first book? What was the thing from Broke Millennial that it surprises you that people don't talk about more? Like there's got to be something you wrote in Broke Millennial where you're like, how come, how come this never got any traction and really should? 
Oh, that's a really good question. I think one thing that surprises me the most is how often someone that I know has read the first book will ask me where to put their savings. <laughs> I think that, especially in book one, me talking about back then it was 1% APY in a savings account. If your money is at 0.01% APY, you're doing it wrong. Earn money on your savings. Now we're at like 375 <laughs> But I do think that the conversation around picking better financial products has improved in the last six years. But I do think that conversation still does not get enough traction because a lot of people will talk about the savings rates. Not enough people talk about the other side of, all right, well, where is your checking account? How does that bank behave? How does that bank treat customers who maybe aren't as diligent with their money as you? Like to me, having conversations around the ethics of banking, it's a tough thread to pull because it's a bit complicated, but it is really important to understand and know who you're banking with, how they treat people and how they're going to treat you. And let me tell you, if you are not getting well over 1% APY, so interest on your savings account, that is one area where I will say you are my friend doing it wrong we could see some improvement there. Another area in the workbook you draw attention to where people I think are getting it wrong is in credit cards. In fact, in the chapter on credit score, you say that there is a, there's this nasty, nasty, nasty lie that people believe about credit cards. Do you remember what this is? Well, maybe not that maybe the right word's not lie. Maybe it's just a uh, myth around credit cards. I mean, it's also an outright lie because it does get perpetuated and it's, not true. So like, I have heard people say to folks that you should carry a balance on your credit card month to month. That is bad advice. It is patently untrue. You do not need to carry a balance over month to month. If you have a balance when your statement comes in, great, then pay it off on time and in full. There is never a need to only pay a little bit or not pay off the whole thing and carry over a balance month to month. This can be a little hard to explain as opposed to visually seeing, but just trust me when your credit card statement comes in, pay it off on time and in full every single month. You do not need to carry over anything from month to month. It's good to just have a balance to begin with. And then the good deeds for your credit score have been done. Do not pay interest. You do not need to pay interest to grow and develop your solid credit score. Well, you have a whole chapter then on how to use credit cards that has a funny title, something like, oh, this is how I use credit cards. I don't remember exactly, but, but it's a pretty funny title. How do we use credit cards the right way, Erin? Well, the number one thing is to, okay, there's two things I'm going to get into. One, obviously I'm saying this with full recognition that sometimes people do leverage credit cards when they're in a bind and they do end up in credit card debt. But if we're talking purely from the situation of like, best practices for using one. The first step is to know what your credit limit is. So let's say that you can spend $1,000 a month on that credit card. The next step is to not spend more than 30% of your available credit limit. So if you have a $1,000 credit limit, we're not spending more than $300 a month on that credit card. That to the credit scoring bureau is like, ooh, so sexy. We do not want to spend more than 30%. Single digits, they're going to be weak at the knees. If you can stay under 10%, they'll be like, oh, can't resist, must swipe. Yes, absolutely. 
Keep that in mind. Do not use more than 30% of your available credit limit. Even if you think it looks responsible to like max it out, but pay it off on time and in full, you're never carrying debt. You might think that looks good because you're like, hey, I can use it and I can pay it off. Isn't that great? Not to them. They set the rules. I can't tell you why. They want 30% or less of your available credit limit. The other big key here, do not spend more than you can afford to pay off in a month. And I'm not just saying that flippantly as like, just don't have credit card debt. Credit card debt is a crusher. We are talking for some people upwards of nearly 30% interest rates on these things. So trying to avoid credit card debt, or if you find yourself in credit card debt, aiming to get out of that as fast as possible is really critical because that is one way that all of a sudden it just gets completely away from you. And it's a debt that can just compound so quickly because the interest rates can be so high. Well, how do you feel about the credit card reward game? You know what? I use it. That's part of how we went to Japan and had an next vacation. So I do like credit card rewards because it can kind of be seen as like this nice little perk for having healthy credit behaviors, but it only pays off if you do not have debt. Because as soon as you start carrying debt, I promise you those rewards are not going to be worth what you're paying for them. Because again, the interest rates on these cards are often in the high 20, sometimes even tipping towards 30%. So if you're getting 3%, 5% cash back or, you know, types of points, even if your points are like 10X, it's not going to pay off in terms of how much you're going to be paying in the interest if you're starting to carry credit card debt from it. So I look at that as a little bit of like a next level situation. If you're just learning how to use a credit card right now, don't bother with the rewards game unless it's just easy peasy cash back. Don't get into the whole travel hacking thing until you feel pretty confident with your personal financial situation. I found that for me, I had to get a healthy respect for cash before I started using the rewards game. Like I went after rewards big time. I messed up my entire financial life, like totally destroyed everything. And then I got a respect for cash. And then once I got that, then I was able to go back and use rewards. I think that's what you mean by next level, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I think as soon as you're starting out or if you're in a situation where you're afraid of credit cards, which some people might be for various reasons, or it could be that you've made a misstep in the past and you're just not confident yet. Don't stress about rewards. Just get like a pretty plain vanilla, no annual fee credit card. There are ones out there that offer, you know, like 2% cash back where you don't have to do anything other than pay it off on time and in full and you get the rewards. But yeah, we see all this stuff on Instagram. I get jealous of the people who keep seemingly fly first class like every other month to some exotic destination and then stay in a five-star resort, apparently for like $7.95. I'm jealous of that too, but I'm also not going to potentially risk my financial life and credit health to be like, Ooh, maybe I can get a free first class air ticket. You end up really paying for it over time and, and more. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You end the book by talking about financial advisors. What's your take on working with a financial advisor and finding the right one and who should work with one? Well, I like saying stop at the beginning of that chapter. I did it in the first book and I do it in the workbook because so often people who ascribe to broke millennial, if you feel like you're a broke millennial, then you might get to a chapter about financial advisors and be like, okay, sure. Stop, read the chapter. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, you'd be surprised how diversified the financial advisor industry has become in terms of opportunities to work with somebody to help you on a very specific issue. 
There are also folks who will just do a one-time plan for a flat fee. It doesn't necessarily have to be a long-term relationship, although those can be very beneficial too. The other thing is it's gone are the days of like, you have to be a millionaire in order to have access to a financial planner. Now, some of the risk though, is it financial advisor, financial planner? These are terms that kind of are getting co-opted by a bunch of different people within the financial industry. So you want to make sure you can really vet somebody and understand how credible they are as a financial advisor or planner. One of my favorite recommendations, certified financial planner. It's a bit of a gold standard. You know what they have done in order to get that designation. Also, understand how someone gets paid. This is true across the board with whomever you are working with, right? Like how does someone make their money? That is a really critical piece of information because if somebody is just flat fee, you pay them an amount of money, they're giving you advice, end of discussion. That's a pretty clear transaction between the two of you. If somebody makes a commission off of advising products to you, then it gets a little bit potentially hairy because the question starts to become, okay, are they telling me a product because it is legitimately the best product for me? Or are they telling me this product because they get a really nice commission on the back end if they sell this to me or if they put this in my investment portfolio? So it is really important that you always ask somebody how they get paid. And if they do work on commission, you need to be really clear on making sure that anything they're recommending that involves a commission is actually in your absolute best interest. And an area that can get really sticky here is when we're talking about insurance policies. Well, what I love best about what you said, Aaron, I loved all of it, frankly, but I really like the fact with it's gotten so difficult. So you got to know what you're looking for first. You can't just go, oh, you're a financial advisor. Okay. Well, I heard those are good or those are bad or whatever. There's such a wide range that you really got to truly know what you want first before you even ask any of those fee questions, because you know, you're going to maybe get what you pay for or maybe not. Well, the other thing too to consider is if you're just in a situation in your life where maybe you have an inciting incident that requires you to have little help, maybe you received an inheritance, maybe you're having a kid, maybe you're buying a house. There's so many reasons you might want to talk to somebody. You can also go to a lot of different platforms and filter for somebody who has experience in the area that you need help. So if you're somebody who's trying to figure out a debt repayment plan while building wealth and you've got student loans that you want to pay off, we'll filter for somebody who has experience with student loans. You don't want to work with somebody who's like, eh, you know, I graduated college 40 years ago and I paid for all my kids to go to school in cash and uh, I don't really know what the student loan landscape looks like. And it's also easier now because, you know, it used to be you had to look at the phone book or, or, or whatever, look for people in your area. <laughs> and I think that COVID taught us well, COVID taught us a couple things. Number one, COVID taught us that we can get a financial advisor anywhere now, frankly. Mm-hmm. And then number two is, and, and I want to circle back to something you say earlier on. You also say COVID taught us about emergency funds. And I think I'm going to want to end on that. What did COVID teach you about emergency funds that kind of changed the game for you? You know, I often get asked what I would change in the prior books, because once the book's published and out there, it's pretty hard to change anything that's in it. And there's one thing that I have in book number one, Broke Millennial, that man, if I could get in there and update that. And even pre-COVID, I had changed my mind on emergency funds because I adhered to what a lot of people say, which is you need at least $1,000 in an emergency savings fund if you're paying off debt. I now think that is actively bad advice. It's a great goal. It's a great starting goal. But I know for me that if something went wrong, 
$1,000 doesn't even pay my rent, isn't going to be enough to keep a roof over my head, isn't going to pay for all of my basic needs. So my pivot really became, even if you are paying off debt, my recommendation is you have at least one month of bare essential living expenses. So not how much you need to be living your best life, but how much you need to keep your shelter, keep your transportation, put food on the table, pay your basic utilities, your minimums on your debts, because we don't want to destroy our credit during this time. And then also insurance, anything else that's a basic necessity for you. Figure out that number. And one month of that is your new bare minimum for your emergency fund. It's going to look really different for different people. The other thing I love, and this is one thing that COVID really taught me certainly, is thinking about our emergency fund beyond just the number that we need in a bank account, but looking at our social safety net. Who do we have that we can turn to in a time of need? Do you have a friend that could quickly get you job interviews? Do you have a family member that you could stay with temporarily? Do you have a cousin who could loan you a car if something happened and you needed to be able to get somewhere and your car is recently broken down and you can't afford to fix it? Is there somebody in your life that can provide childcare? So also ideating around this social safety net version of an emergency fund, I think can also really help bring a level of peace of mind. And then you also have an action plan if and when, inevitably when something goes wrong at some point. Because <laughs> something will go wrong, right? It's so refreshing to hear relationships as assets on your balance sheet. And they truly are like all the things that relationships have done for me over my career have been such big, big things. And I feel like, you know, people talk about relationships as building your quote soft skills, but I don't know much that's much more important than, than great relationships. So important. And knowing what you can provide to somebody else in that time of need, especially if you're somebody who maybe feels that it's difficult to ask for help when you're in a spot of need, just keeping in mind too, that at some point you're going to be able to provide some level of a resource, some level of help for someone else as well. It is the broke millennial workbook published on the sixth anniversary. I can't believe it of the original book broke millennial. It's a way to work through all of your financial stuff. I like taking this, like, I don't know how you intended it to go Aaron, but when I looked over it, I thought, if you took one of these chapters, I don't know, like every week and work through it just a little bit at a time, like you're going to uncover better goal setting. You're going to get your credit in order. You'll get better investment decisions, put better people in your corner. How did you intend for people to use the workbook? So the only strict advice I have is chapters one to three really should be done in order just because they're really the foundational pieces. We're talking a little bit about the psychology of money. We're establishing a common language for certain things we're going to talk about in the future. But beyond one to three, jump around at your interest. Everybody approaches things differently. I'm more of the like, I want to get the stuff I'm not interested in done first so I can do the fun stuff later. But if that's not motivating for you, do the fun stuff first. Look to the chapters that are actually interesting to you. Just don't skip the things that feel hard because that's where the growth is actually going to come from. And it's available everywhere, correct? Everywhere books are sold. Yeah. Aaron, thanks so much for hanging out with us and helping our stackers get better and not be broke. I so appreciate it. Uh, it's always wonderful to be back with you. And this was a ton of fun. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Aaron for hanging out with us on Instagram. If you follow us on Instagram, you'll see that we're there every week that uh, I'm actually in the basement and we've got 
a great one coming up next week, by the way. I'll be talking to Martinez Evans, who decided to begin running when he weighed over 300 pounds and talk about just big goals. A lot of people didn't even say he couldn't do it. They called him a lot of not so nice names. And so we're going to talk to Martinez next Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope you can join us over on Instagram. But back to this, OG, how many interviews over the past 12 years have we done where goal setting factors into the equation, like setting the right goals, which I think partially also means saying no to what the wrong goals are, like being clear about what you want is so much the game with personal finance. And yet over and over, that's what people want to want to step over. I don't, I don't want to get clear about my goals. I think there's a misconception around that, that it's going to be complicated and take a long time. And, and what if I'm wrong? And, and, you know, what if I decide later that I want to change it and all that sort of stuff in the, in the reality I think that's is the big one. What if I want to change my mind later? So I do nothing. Yeah. Don't do anything. And of course, the interesting thing is, is that it's actually an easier process. You move more efficiently. You're more likely to be on the right track for even if you do want to make changes by having set up some goals and some milestones in front of you. And overall, it's just a more efficient and enjoyable practice. I think, you know, from a planning standpoint, there's two sides of it, right? One side is how do I save enough money so that I don't run out of money ever again, right? Like there's that kind of overarching financial independence, you know, I want to be good enough that I don't ever run out of money. But the other side of that is also the case, which is how do I know that I'm saving enough or putting enough in the right places so that I can spend stuff today? How do I get to enjoy life today without the stress of like, oh my gosh, I need to be saving? Well, the only way you can do that is if you're on a plan and you are knowing where you're supposed to be on that plan. Otherwise, you're just kind of striving for infinity, which is impossible to know whether or not you're on track for that. So I think it's a much more enjoyable process and and you have a better experience overall. Seven habits of highly affected people begin with the end in mind. And there's there's only seven of them. That's one of the big seven. And if you don't know where you're going, what's that? Any investment will help you, right? That's right. Yeah. And and then if you don't care where you go, then it doesn't matter where you, you know, that's a great answer to, do you think Bitcoin's good? Yeah, well, what are you trying to do? Like, you know, should I invest in small cap stocks? I don't know. What are you trying to do? That's that's my favorite thing about goal-based investing is that it makes it okay to say that's a great investment, it's just not for me. Yeah. Like too many people I think are on the train of I gotta get into the great investment. Fine, it can still be good and not meet your goal. And what a great answer when you're like, Yep, that looks great, but doesn't meet my end game. So I'm gonna pass. Like that's wielding some good power. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life OG, they put what you value first. Summer vacation. Oh, Doug's acting like he had an answer to that one, too. Like, why didn't you call on me? I did. And you spent all last week, all last week, you asked OG what he valued most. But summer vacation. uh, I sat patiently. (laughs) Fine. No, take OG's answer. No, Doug, what's yours? I'm very curious now. Well, here's what it was going to be, Joe which was friends like you guys. Oh, not anymore. That's some Velveeta cheese right there. That is just. No, it was. It seriously was. So I I had an epic trip last week that was, I mean, if there were horses involved, it would have been right out of like, you know, the Knight's Tales or something. It was an, I was helping a friend 
with a pretty big moment in his life, and, and, and it involved moving a whole bunch of stuff from Little Rock, Arkansas, to Michigan, to Connecticut, and he's one of my oldest friends, and we we don't spend as much what, time. What, he's in his 90s? Yeah, <laughs> and we don't spend as much time together as, as we should, and it, despite it being a pretty stressful event, just that time together in the car. Dri- By the way, driving from Little Rock to Kalamazoo, I realized the South is invading the North. I have never seen that many trucks on the road in my life as when we were driving. I mean, it was bizarre. But anyway, it, it was a, a meaningful trip. And I just, it, it was one of those things that made me realize how important great friendships are in your life. And, and, and you guys too. But uh, that's that's what I value right now is, is the, the relationships that I've spent years not screwing up. That was nice. Wasn't that OG? Wasn't that? That was nice. I think that was nice. It's actually, it says your loved ones in your time. So Doug, I think you nailed it on my script here. That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. So you can gallivant across the country with a U-Haul or whatever you were doing and not spend time filling Gallop out. across the country yeah, good, is what he was Good point, OG. Yes. Get the verbiage right. Uh, go to stackybenjamins.com slash havenlife now to get a free quote. Love what they're doing there because it's simple. It's online. Doug could have been on the road holding hands with his buddy. And with the other hand, he could have been going to stackybenjamins.com slash havenlife and then filled out the application on his phone. It's easy. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, it's a company that's been there. Policies offered by the parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 years old. Thanks. For Today, we're going to throw out the... Thanks for ruining it, Jeff. Yes. I didn't ruin a thing. You I, did. I was adding to it. You nailed the Haven Life part of it. I just thought, you know, just your secret lover's moment was pretty cool. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to who? Who are we going to throw it out to? We're going to throw it out to... Will. And actually, I've got a note here from our producer, Karen, who was like, boo to Will. What's what's the deal? We don't boo our stackers, Karen. Wow. Yeah. What's going on? It's pretty friendly, so it must take a lot. (laughs) I know. I bet he's hating on the Red Sox. This is my prediction. He's going to hate on the Red Sox. Let's see. Who knows? Hey, guys. This is Will from the Bronx. Hope you're having a great day. Before anything, I want to mention that I got to meet Joe and Paula last year at the Stacked event in New York City. It was great to knock back a couple of beers with you, and I love that you guys are as down-to-earth as you come across on the podcast. Anyway, my girlfriend and I recently welcomed our firstborn into the world, and it got me thinking about estate planning. I want to make sure my little one is taken care of if something happens to their big papa. Would getting married or having a simple will be sufficient, or do I need to create a trust for my family, or maybe something a little more complicated? I don't know. Our situation is that I own the home we live in, as well as the cash-flowing rental property. Beyond that, I have 750000 in retirement, which is 90% pre-tax since I live in New York, and 165000 in taxable investments. Lastly, because I have that 165000 in taxable investments, do I need life insurance outside of what my employer provides, or can I say that I'm self-insured for the sake of the baby? Thank you. And uh... but That's it from me. Let's go, Yankees. See ya. <laughs> there, there it was. <laughs> I was like, what's not to like about Will? Will sounds awesome. And by the way, Will, I remember us hanging out. Thank you so much for coming. Guys, that was the weirdest event, our New York City event. We were in this, we we had so much trouble finding a partner in New York that Emily Guy Burke and my co-author and I, we we found this place and uh, it was this, we're in this strange ass basement. It felt very comfortable. But it well, was yeah, because you live in a basement, so it's going to feel like home to you. <laughs> but it was so tiny and so weird and so not like the other places. But we had great, a great time hanging out with our stackers. So, Will, thanks for coming to that. 
and uh, good to hear your voice. But let's talk estate planning. This is a great, great question, OG. And I love that Will's taking care of business. Yeah. Yeah. So he's talking about a couple of things, the difference between a will and a trust. And, you know, do I need one or other? And the answer is probably both. And here's kind of the difference between those. A will is nothing more than your instructions as to what you want to have happen with your stuff. A trust is an ongoing living entity that continues beyond you that you can indicate how you want to have things happen. So you could say, in my will, I want my houses to go to my kid, right? But can an infant own property? Well, of course not. So there's got to be an intermediary of like, how to, what's the function for that ownership? The other thing to think about too, is you mentioned your girlfriend, you didn't mention her at all when you're talking about your kid, which could be a, on purpose or it could be a slight oversight. Um, either way is fine, but make sure that you understand what that means, right? If you're not married, then all of your stuff is going to go to your next of kin. If you don't have any, any estate planning done, right? So if you're not married and you have kids, all of your stuff goes to your kids. The problem is, is that the court system, if you don't have a good estate plan, the court system is going to be involved in those decisions. And because you're not married, your girlfriend will have nothing, no ability to kind of help with that situation, nor will really anyone for that matter, because you have to designate that person in advance. That's what we would call a trustee. So the person who's in charge of the money while you're waiting for your kid to get a little bit older. And maybe you want it to be your girlfriend, or maybe you want to get married, or maybe you want it to be your mom or something. That's fine. But the idea of a trust versus a will is to allow you to still have the people in charge of the stuff that you want to have them be in charge of without having undue issues relative to court requirements and the the legal ramifications of, you know, a child, somebody under the age of 18, trying to own property, which is just a non-thing. Relative to the question around insurance, my answer would be probably you're not even in the ballpark of being insured enough. Most people underestimate the amount of coverage that they need simply by the fact of, of, of looking at the aggregate dollar amount. So you rattled off some numbers and it kind of added up to like a million bucks or something like that. So you're going, hey, it's a million dollars. It's a ton of money. You know, I didn't have a million dollars and I did fine. But you have to take out all the things that you're going to write checks for. So if something bad happens to you, what do you want to have happen? Do you want to make sure that all the bills are paid? Do you want to make sure that there's food, clothing, and shelter for your kid for a period of time? Do you want to make sure that college is paid for? You start thinking about those checks that you write immediately. And now look at what's left. Just a back of the envelope calculation, do that 4% calculation and say, how much can I spend from that? That becomes a, a much smaller number than the million dollar sum sounds like. You know, if you want to set aside enough money to pay for a kid's college today, you might be setting aside, I don't know, seventy five dollars or $100,000 in one lump sum, right? So you set that aside, you've got eight hundred grand left over. That's taxable, by the way, to your kid in the next 10 years because you can't distribute it longer than that. And so you got $800,000. That's 4%. That's only 30 grand a year. That's, I mean, that's not zero, but that's not a lot to feed clothes, shelter, you know, like all the stuff that's associated with a kid for the next 20 odd years. So I think it'd be helpful to kind of sit down and kind of map that out from a planning standpoint and go, what do I want to have happen? Yeah. And then what are the gaps that I have and how do I solve this? This goes back to what we talked about with Aaron. OG, begin with the end of mind. You know, it goes, goes right yeah. back to that. If you start off with what the goal is, maybe Will has enough. Maybe he does. 
it's very difficult for us to answer yeah. that question until we know what the goal is. And, and to your point, he could be grossly underinsured. We don't know. Yeah. Think about what you want to have happen and then do the math on the back end. Don't, don't try to do the math first and see what happens with the math, if that makes sense. We use a lot of rules of thumb around insurance, which drives me crazy versus goal-based insurance yeah. planning. You know, start off with the, with the amount that you need in, in many cases. If you look at not just life insurance, but all the different types of insurance out there, like a lot of people buy accidental death and dismemberment and they have a desk job and there's no reason for accidental death and dismemberment unless you're, you know, working someplace where you might lose an eye, an arm, a limb, a finger, whatever it might be. So you can eliminate that if you start off with the goal rather than go, well, it's cheap. And the rule of thumb is I need to have different types of disability coverage. So I'm going to go ahead and add it. Yeah. You can eliminate the wrong stuff. Let's talk about uh, which insurance to buy, OG, because he asks if, you know, having it through work or having a policy outside of work as well. I always preferred having a portable policy because of the fact that that if you lose your job, uh, that policy through work may go away. Now, at some companies, they might be portable, but what do you think about that question? Well, again, this largely determined is determined by what you're looking for and what your health status is, frankly. If you're needing to add a couple hundred thousand or, you know, some relatively low sum in the insurance world, it's easy to get it through your work. The downside is you got to wait until open enrollment time. So you've got to wait until, you know, January of next year to get that coverage uh, if that's when your open enrollment is. Like you mentioned, the problem is, is that if you lose your job or get laid off or change jobs, you're going to have some break in coverage. You're going to have some gap there that you may not want to have. Uh, we've also seen the situation where you might have some medical issues that might prevent you from having coverage on your own or, or make the cost very high, in which case the group plan will be much more cost-effective because you're lumping yourself together with everybody else in terms of the rate. You benefit, everybody else is not going to benefit by you being in that plan, but you know, hey, we're talking about you this time. And then the other thing you might have an issue with is just the, the, the dollar amount, frankly. You know, if we're using that rule of thumb of 4%, which I know you hate, and I hate too, and you say, well, if I'm trying to, I'm trying to live on a hundred grand a year, well, that's two and a half million dollars. Your work plan may not allow you to buy two and a half million. The you, the most you might be able to get is five hundred thousand. In which case, it might make sense to take all you can get through work and then have to supplement it with with an individual policy on top of it. I'm with you. I would rather have the flexibility and the portability, and I'm also of reasonably decent health, so I think I'm going to get a better rate using my own health than combining myself with everybody else. Thanks, Will, for that question. If you've got a question like Will has, head to stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail, and uh, Will, uh, go Tigers, right? Go Tigers. Tigers actually playing well lately. Really For well. a bunch of uh, middle school people on a team. Like, they huh. are crushing it. Really? Yeah, they're overachieving. The Rangers as well. Rangers are yes. doing great, too. I was going to take Nick uh, last weekend to see a Ranger game because Cheryl was out of town. Mother's Day weekend, of course, she's out of town. And so how do you celebrate? You take a kid to a Ranger game because they're playing the Cubs. And uh, then I went to buy tickets. Nick and I get to the computer. I'm like, this new stadium they have is awesome. Go to the computer, sit down. Turns out Joe doesn't know how to operate the Texas Rangers schedule. I was looking at last month and they weren't in town. <laughs> so instead, we went to Little Rock and we got fourth row seats for the Arkansas Travelers, the double A baseball team, sitting in the fourth row. Fourth row, 15 bucks. Same, same. Right behind home plate. Fantastic. You gonna come down here for the Rough Riders? 
The restraining order. Oh, gee. Is that at that gentleman's club right near the airport? The Rough Riders. <laughs> OG. Oh, boy. No. My... No. They are our AAA team in Frisco. It's at Dr. Pepper Park. Dr. Pepper Park is cool looking. Have you been in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We go every year a couple times. Yeah. It's awesome. It's cool. Love cool minor league baseball. It's a cheap date. It's a cheap date. And usually it's pretty full, too. I mean, it's a solid 70, 80% full. And they got a little pool thing out back. We've never done the pool, but you can go. Go lounge in the pool if you want. You mean the petri dish? <laughs> no, no, it's it's cleaned. <laughs> Sit out in right field with a beer, you know, and you're a little floaty. Yeah, we had oh. Daryl Strawberry, the former pro, give a talk before the game. So just got there early, listened to Daryl Strawberry talk, and watched a good baseball game. That sounds awesome. And Will's like, okay, back to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for the call, Will. slash voicemail if you've got a question for OG and for being brave. We aren't going to send him any Yankee or Tigers. We should send him some Tiger swag, but we're going to send him uh, the best team swag, which is stacking Benjamin's team. We should do like a team Jersey. We see Brad could do. It's like, I a like it. Baseball Jersey kind of thing. Uh, hey, in lieu of that, there kind of is one there right now. Oh, there is. How about we all wear the Doug 2024 t-shirt, the campaign. I was kind of waiting until the debates kick off, you know, to really get there. Cause we got to get you on that debate stage. Doug. Can you imagine me in those debates? Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Just the voice of reason. You'd totally be the voice of reason. Well, hey, let's give you a reason to do stuff with us the rest of the week. How about that, huh? Let's take a look at the community calendar before we say goodbye. Tomorrow night, I will be with Martinez Evans, who was over 300 pounds when he decided, I'm going to run a marathon. And uh, man, does he have an inspirational story. We're going to share it here on the podcast on Memorial Day. Uh, however, if you want to hang out with us live, ask him questions after. We're going to do the interview live, and then he will stick around and answer your questions about running, about goal setting, about his story. Head to Instagram and follow us. And that's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow night. That's Thursday night. If you're listening to this, maybe a day after it came out. It's Thursday, the 18th of May. But if you're not here to talk marathoning, you're not here to hang out with us on Instagram, you're concerned about the market and the chatter around possible recessions and with the Fed raising interest rates, what's good, you know, what dominoes are going to fall there. OG and his team put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market, the guide to help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackybenjamins.com slash guide and get this helpful free guide from OG, stackybenjamins.com slash guide coming up on friday uh by the way doc g and nasima mcelroy joining og on the round table we're talking about passive income a lot of uh a lot of passive income that ain't so passive it turns out all, all of it <laughs> some passive income opportunities not that much of an opportunity either so we're going to dive into what's the good bad and ugly on passive income on friday all right, Doug, man, lots to take away today from this one. But uh, what do you say are your top three? Joe, I figured it all out. I took lots of notes and here they are. First, take some advice from Aaron Lowry and me. Don't fall for advice about credit or anything else that sounds good, but it's completely false. You know, like leaving a balance on your credit cards. Trust but verify any advice you receive. Second, buy now and pay later? Yeah, maybe we should turn that around. How about buy later and only if it really sparks joy and then pay for it in full when you buy? Hashtag novel concept. But the big lesson? Man, look at 
looking at this credit score, this report says the reason it's so low is that I missed a balloon payment, but I swear I sent them like a dozen balloons way before they asked. I gotta go negotiate. Thanks to Aaron Lowry for joining us today. You can find out more about Broke Millennial Workbook wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of The Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. I want to share another story from my trip. This is a this is a cautionary tale for everybody. We start off in this town called Baritz, which it turns out is the surfing capital of France. Did you know France had a surfing capital, guys? Yeah, I thought it was Baritz, but Amer- apparently it's a different town. It's, it's Baritz. Baritz. It's Baritz. So yes. that's probably two different places. Baritz, Baritz. Yes, it looks like Baritz, but my daughter uh, changed my mind by pronouncing it. Uh, several times, but we're staying at this really nice hotel, you know, kind of jet lagged, weird sleep. The first night I'm there, wake up the next morning, Cheryl's looking at the emails on the iPad and there's a note from the rental car company. It says, how are you enjoying your rental car? That we are not picking up until that day at noon and it's 8 AM. How are you enjoying your rental car? Did you like it? like, what? And I go look at my reservation, guys, and I had messed it up and I was supposed to pick up my rental car the day before. And we're taking my daughter, her boyfriend, my son, 
Cheryl and I on a road trip all over Spain. And so I call the rental car company and the guy, luckily he spoke some English and said, there's a two hour window. And after the two hours contractually, I can give away your car. And I did. There is no car. Womp womp. We, we are leaving on this epic road trip across Spain. We have no rental car. So is the cautionary tale learn how to work a calendar? Because we also heard about an issue with the baseball game earlier. So I'm seeing a trend here. Over two. So basically, if you want to do the cautionary tale is don't travel anywhere with Joe. That is probably the best jail there. It's just, it's holy cow. Now, the be- I had like a sprinter van style thing. And if you've been in any of these old European cities, I knew I was going to have to park these things outside of town and get an Uber to go into town because the van was going to be too big. But we were going to have plenty of room. But luckily, the guy told me about another place out at their airport that he thought would have the same type of van I was looking for. I get online. Sure enough, they have it. So I reserve it. I'm good to go. I go out with my daughter to the airport because she speaks French. And I, you know, I know how to say, je voudrais un point at the chicken or point at the beer, the wine or whatever it is. And there it is. That's, that's my French. Je voudrais un automobile. <laughs> like <laughs> point, point at the car. I get out there and it turns out that, um, it was a bait and switch. They did not have a car for seven. I walk in, the guy goes, do you really need a car for seven? I said, well, no, there's only five of us, but we need some extra room because we have luggage. We're using this for two weeks, but the guy looks relieved and he's like, oh, well, but I have some bad news. Your car has not been returned yet. We only have one. And so we've called the person twice and the car's not here. Now, what am I going to do? No place else in town has a car. And I messed this stuff up. So I'm like, fine, we'll wait. Luckily, 20 minutes later, we're just sitting outside 20 minutes in the beautiful air. And this family comes and they have the car. But the car seats, I would say in America, this car seats three. <laughs> it's, it's a Renault and it is not huge. We've got five people and bags. So uh, we and made not it huge seat. people. Like, you're, it's not like you no. need the extra room because you've had a few too many croissants. No, but we had all these bags. We had to go to my daughter's apartment with this thing. There's like a uh, a thing in the back. A lot of these, you know, you open up the back door and there's this trunk, this protector. It isn't truly a trunk. It's just a back door. And there's this little protector on top of the little grocery area. Yeah. We had to re- we had to remove that and we had to pack bags all the way to the ceiling and we had bags at our feet on the floor. There was no way to just simply get two rental cars. <laughs> we, we maybe we maybe could have. However, we uh, we had one. Sounds like a much better idea. Oh, uh, oh, it totally was actually, OG, because when we got to Seville, the little narrow place we needed to go down to park the car, I had to put the mirrors in on this little tiny hatchback car. I had to put the mirrors in to actually get between the buildings to go to this subterranean garage and park. And by the way, trying to get out, I had to continually back up, back up, turn, back up, turn, back up, turn, because it was so narrow and I was having a hell of a time just getting the car out. But then to get well, up the ramp. You are this trip. Oh, dude, to get up the ramp, listen to this, to get up the ramp, I had to floor it because the first time I started going up the ramp, the wheels were slipping. And I could, so I'm aimed, I'm, 
there's this curved curved uh drive up to the top to the first floor of the garage the wheels were slipping i gotta go full blast with a rental car toward the wall and jack it to the left and hope like hell that my wheels stop slipping so i'm able to make it out of the garage obviously we made it because i'm here but um but yeah Did you plan your trip itinerary based on cadillac models from the 80s <laughs> you went to Baritz and you went to seville where else did you go Oh, I, oh, I should have, I forgot that that was, that's why you call it Baritz because, uh, because yeah. of the car. Uh-huh. I totally forgot there was a car. Yeah. San Sebastian. Was there a Dodge San Sebastian? How about El Dorado? Did you go there? We went to Granada. That's a Ford. Yes. Uh, uh, we went to Valencia. There's no Valencia. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Learn to work a calendar. That's the cautionary tale. But take advice from us. <laughs> I can't work a calendar, but I'm great with money. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.